No Country for Old Men To Be Kind This is off the list. Or, you know, as you would like it, let's go get peppermint hot chocolate because I have questions. <laughs> I have questions about your choices uh, and your decisions, and I really need them answered. Thank you very much. Um, much appreciated. Um, and with that, welcome to Off the List. This is the podcast. <laughs> this is the podcast where we have lists of things that we'd like to cross off preferably well only movies and music that might not be true in the future right right that might not be true in the future but for right now movies and music i'm nadira i provide the movies i'm talking to ben he provides the music um and on this episode we have uh i don't even know how you would describe the energy that this episode's tension. choices are giving. Just yes, tension. Just tension. That's, that's yes, tension. Um, so this episode, we're doing No Country for Old Men, the 2007 hit Coen Brothers film. And the album that we are talking about today is Swan's album, To Be Kind, of which I have words that we will get to <laughs> I, kn- I knew this you have, episode I knew you have thoughts man i knew you have thoughts i was so excited when i gave it to you this episode we are starting with no country for old men just the quickest rundown i can try and give kind of impossible but a bit more doable than like mulholland drive rundown um, <laughs> yeah oh so, no country for old men it was released in 2007 um it was directed and written by the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan, which most of their films are both directed and written by them. You know them, even if you don't know them, they are the minds behind Big Lebowski, Fargo, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Burn After Reading, True Grit, Inside Lewin Davis, basically all of your father's favorite films. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this film was based on a book by Cormac McCarthy. It was produced by Scott Rudin, who you also know if you don't know. The film stars Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Bowen, Woody Harrelson, Kelly McDonald, and a whole bunch of other familiar and unfamiliar faces. The cinematography was done by the goat Roger Deakins, who, again, you don't know him, but you know him. He's mm. behind a lot of the Coen Brothers films, including Fargo, Oh Brother, etc. But he also has done like hit films like Shawshank Redemption, A Beautiful Mind, Skyfall, Blade oh, Runner 2049, wow. Saving Private Ryan, and what he's most recently been like hailed for is 1917 which is yeah so yeah i do know him even though i don't know him yes if you haven't seen 1917 or if you haven't seen any of roger deacon's work which is like somewhat impossible um then please go watch his films but particularly 1917 is just like a marvel um okay anyway no country for old men it's a neo-western crime thriller. So Josh Brolin plays Llewellyn Moss. He happens upon some money in the desert. Well, everything's set in the, like the desert of West Texas. He happens across some money in the desert from um, a drug deal gone bad. And he takes the money and is then pursued by a mysterious hitman whose name is Anton Chigurh, or Chigurh, um, who has been hired to 
obtain the money. Meanwhile, Tommy Lee Jones plays a sheriff, a local sheriff who is investigating the whole crime and really tense, suspenseful male things ensue. Mm -hmm. Um, The film is hailed, absolutely hailed. It won Best Picture at the Oscars along with Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and of course, Best Supporting Actor for Javier Bardem. Um, It won like three BAFTAs. The American Film Institute listed it as Film of the Year. The National Board of Review chose it as the best film of 2007. It is known as one of the best, if not the best, Coen Brothers film to date. But before I talk about what I think about it, Ben, what did you think about this film? Man, I feel like watching this film, I aged like a decade. And the fact that I was like, wow, I feel like... I am a 40-year-old dad who is just so into this fucking movie. It it really kind of threw me off because there's so many things about this movie that I would normally hate. Example one, there's no music at all. There's mm-hmm. no music. And I like music is such an essential. I mean, I'm the music guy on this podcast, but like in movies, like it is an essential it's thing to essential. me. And the fact that they are able to not have any music in the movie and I actually think the sound design is one of the movie's strongest points is ridiculous. That is incredible. Yeah, yeah I definitely liked it. Yeah. I definitely, but like liked it is kind of hard to, it, is, it doesn't feel like almost right to use that simple of a word because I felt like really bad after finishing it because it's just like so heavy. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily felt bad as much as I was just astounded by everything that had just gone on i mean i think the film and the coen brothers tend to do this although not really like they really like to tell one story um that can be quite linear um Mm -hmm. and it will have a lot of like really fun and odd characters but essentially it will be one story i mean take oh brother where art thou for instance it is a modern take on the odyssey that is one linear story about one guy who makes one journey you know Mm -hmm. um and again fargo is a murder mystery um you know or not necessarily a murder mystery but deals with one crime and the fallout of one crime and like the seed to the beginning and the very end fallout solving of that one crime um and so i think this is one of the first coen brothers films i had seen i haven't seen them all i tend to be a really big fan of them but it's one of the first ones that i had seen that was really actually dealing with multiple plot lines they just Mm. all revolved around the same event if that makes sense the first 30 minutes are kind of like trying to figure out how they're all going to tie together yeah um which is really fascinating they're kind of like jumping between characters and you're not you're not quite sure they all are circling but you're just like how will this all really kind of meet up yeah and they're all so i mean every character's introduction well every character in this film even characters who are in the film for a very short period of time their first introduction always like is zinger exactly who they are and they're just so incredibly well thought out and well performed i mean i obviously we'll end up talking about javier bardem and like tommy lee jones and josh brolin but kelly mcdonald to me gives one of the most amazingly like understated overlooked performances in this film that last her final scene i mean every scene that she has and especially the scenes with josh brolin because you really do feel 
how much they love each other. The love there is so strong. And I loved all of those scenes, but also her final scene. The the way she delivers so Ugh. perfect the way She's she delivers perfect. that line the line where it's like that you know y- you're using this coin as a shield yeah for your decisions like oh my god the way she delivered that it was just like i had chills she's really intuitive she's incredibly smart and she understands like she's kind of the only person who puts shigor in his place like in the whole film he gets Mm. the best of everyone except her every person in this film just sells it completely especially javier bardem like of course there's that famous scene of the coin toss the other favorite scenes that i had in the movie one my favorite other anton scene is the scene where he is talking to woody harrelson's character and he is essentially laying down so much of his philosophies and his ideas and just how much he controls the situation. And the moment where he says and delivers that line, like if the rules in your life led you to this place of what were use was worth, that rule. Yeah. Were they worth oh, it? Yeah. That. And then the way that when the phone rang, he exactly knew who it was. And he's like, and now I can, you know, kill Woody Harrelson's character. Cause at this point now he is functionally useless to me. Um, even though that character had like so much bravado before, like that scene was just so bone chilling. I mean, you never, that's you, a very Ben scene. Yeah. To love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I will say that it, for me, at least the scenes, whenever he's interacting with a random stranger, always never feel like easy to watch. They always get harder and harder because you know more and more that he'll just do it. Like he'll just kill anyone. Mm-hmm ruthlessly without hesitation if he needs to and also because he has this kind of you know i would say soft rule that like if someone sees him they must die and i say soft because there are characters who do live past that rule but it is a very rare exception and it kind of only exists when he feels like another core tenant or belief that he has has kind of like been or broken or there's an exception i mean i think what i really like about this film as a whole um, is that what it ultimately does at the end is reveals that his codes are bullshit. And I think yes. that's why I love yes. Kelly McDonald's performance so much is because she carries that really pivotal scene of being like, hey, these rules that you spent the past hour and a half getting us all to like fall for or accept as the tenets of your behavior are actually just unfounded. His character, like, I definitely, it kind of almost feels to me like a a performance that's just so jarring and so specific. It feels like Dark Knight Joker-esque. But I will say this, it it doesn't dominate the movie in the same way because other characters are also giving performances of a lifetime. Um, Yeah, I also think it's not supposed to be, like, it's supposed to feel a bit more mundane, which is- yes. Yes. Scarier about it. And I don't think Mm -hmm. like Javier Bardem is not playing a character as much as he's just playing a man who has a job, Mm -hmm. right? Like a man who has an occupation. And I think that that is the fine line that makes his performance so much worth it because someone could have taken this role and they could have played it like really, really tense and really scary and really just like, over the top not in theatrics but in just like intensity 
And Mm -hmm. here you have a man who's just like very matter of fact about things. Like when he has that conversation with the guy at the gas station and he's like, so you married into it. And he's like, well, if you want to put it that way. And he's like, there's no way to put it. That's how Mm -hmm. it is. And that's very much his philosophy on life. He dialed into that exactly where he needed to. The same way that Josh Brolin dialed into that like reckless American hero to the exact degree he needed to in order for them to be perfect foils for each other like the scene where he goes and is filling up water to go bring it to this person who is desperately asking for water um who is like shot and dying out that is my other favorite scene because that scene is so drawn out and teaches so much about his character in such like a subtle like way like the way that he's lying awake at night and he just says all right and then he goes and does it it's just like oh it's so you're right it's so just like classic american hero shit yeah, which is very much like a Western thing to to be. But Josh Brolin, again, just keys into it to like the perfect degree. And he's so good. And he's also, I mean, another thing I love about this film, again, about sort of breaking stereotypes is there's not a single person in this film who's stupid. Like everyone is actually incredibly mm. smart. That Llewellyn stays alive for as mm. long as he does. Fucking miracle. Is a miracle, but it's mm. not a miracle. He's actually just that smart and he's yeah. actually just that capable when he buys two adjoining motel rooms just mm-hmm. so he can stick the briefcase through the duct and get it on the other motel room genius this <laughs> film really makes you believe that Llewellyn is going to win it, it, do- really, it really really does, does. He's smart enough to weasel out of every situation he's put in. And he has the sort of bravado and says the lines that like your classic American hero who would win says. And then the way they subvert his death not being at Anton's hand, but at being the hand of the cartel that he originally stole the money from is so clever because it just like it removes all like the drama and the heroism from it. And it's just cold and empty and harsh. Yeah, it really. And those are the people who he really actually owed something to. You know what I mean? Like those Mm -hmm. are the people who he actually did wrong in the first place, which makes it even make that much more sense. But the film really convinces you that he's going to walk away, maybe not with the money, but he's going to walk away alive. And he does not. And that the film can pull it off so well is is just it's so well done i'm not a big fan of westerns to begin with which is a part of the reason why even though this movie is amazing it is by far um not my favorite (laughs) coen Mm -hmm. brothers film just because westerns don't really do much for me particularly it's just done so well and the scene with um the suspenseful scene where um Llewellyn is sitting in the hotel room after he finds I think it's right after he finds the transponder and like he oh the suspense in that scene is insane I guess the last thing I want to bring up on is my like I've already mentioned my two favorite scenes I guess three because I have to include the coin scene because that scene is insane but yeah like I usually find the ends of movies to be like here or there or like sometimes they're like like oh that was nice to wrap it up but like the end of this movie is why i was like just sitting staring at my roof for like 30 minutes after it finished because the way that and i i believe it's tommy lee jones right um Mm -hmm. the way that tommy lee jones delivers these two dreams with to his wife and like you said how they don't show the dream how it's just him describing it like it 
in the kind of the, like the insinuation of the dreams. I, well, and that's the thing is it's up to interpretation what the insinuation mm-hmm. of the dreams actually is. Even Tommy Lee Jones has been like, I mean, here's what I think, but I don't know. Yeah. To end a movie that has been for the most part extremely concrete on something the complete opposite of concrete um i think it's just like so annoyingly smart (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it's delivered in such a phenomenal way the way tommy lee jones i mean he's saying a dream that is somewhat unsettling but is comforting especially the second one dream number two (laughs) that's the one that is like the meat meat. and potatoes right and that dream it it is unsettling but it's only unsettling because of the way tommy lee jones is delivering it and once Mm -hmm. you realize that because he's delivering he's telling you about a dream in which his father is doing a very like comforting secure thing you know Mm. he's cold it's dark but he knows that his father is racing ahead to him and when he meets his father wherever they meet like he will have lit a fire and things will be warm and he will provide for him the way fathers do but he delivers it with such fear and like anxiety that you start to wonder like what does this mean and then when he says the line of like and then i woke up and then the movie just ends i just love that it doesn't matter Mm. (laughs) like i just love that the movie ends on this dream no one will be able to say definitively what it means or not and that is the point right that is the actual point i really like this film so does everyone else. Like, it's not a, a novel opinion to like this film, but it's it seems, really great. I would love to meet the person who doesn't like it. Because, like, I'm kind of in your boat where Westerns don't really do it for me. But this film, I was just drawn in. I was like, please talk talk more. Give me more words in that accent. I want to hear it. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. Just crazy. So crazy. All right. Well, moving on to what is not at all lighter. But actually, I think... I'm actually really happy with this pairing because something thematically about the two of them feel very the same um, to me, at least is swans to be kind, which Mm -hmm. is swans 2014 album. It is (laughs) two hours plus long and God, it's longer than the film is. It's longer than the film is. And it is, a very hard album to describe, I find, despite, like, I, I, I it, it is a experimental post-rock album that comes from a group that has been existing for 30 years, so they've done so many sounds, so many noises, like, when they came out in the 80s, they were doing, like, kind of goth rock, and then they moved into, like, folk rock, and then they moved, like, into post-rock, and, like, all new wave and no wave, and, like, they've, they've moved to every single genre, and they've broken up they've gotten back together like this is a band that has like seen everything and they come out with this trio of albums to be kind being the center of those albums and it was when released kind of widely regarded as maybe the swan's best album ever for this really influential group which was shocking because they already had so much amazing material and this just came out at the end of their career and everyone was like holy shit it's kind of combines everything they've been doing for all this time into this like one like neat not short but neat like package to understand kind of their identity and michael jira's concept and beliefs like as a songwriter and how he runs a band and this album 
if I had one word to describe it, would also be tension because, oh, my God, there is so much tension listening to this album. But I don't want to give too much out about how I feel about it and what I think about it because I just want to know what you thought. And also, I want to know what songs you skipped because I did give you that skip button. I did give you that skip button, so I want to know which ones you hit because there will be ones I will be upset if you did and there will be ones that I will not be upset if you did. (laughs) So I wrote down it was giving. Angry tractor trailer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's forever stalling. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I just <laughs> <laughs> give it to me. Give it to me. <sighs> this was one of the first albums we you gave me where I was like, "This is just men with guitars making sounds." <laughs> Which is ridiculous because that's all music is. It's just people yeah. with instruments making sounds. Mm-hmm. But this was really just like the epitome of just men with guitars making sounds. Yeah. That being said, I really felt like this whole album is a shame because it's just too fucking long. It is mm-hmm. too long. There are songs, and I think I wrote down just like a few of them, but there are songs. So I didn't fully skip entirety of any songs. What okay. I did was like, I would skip minutes ahead, you know? Um, but I wouldn't actually like just skip a song without hearing it at all. I don't think I did that. To- I might've done it to one in like the second half just because I was like tired. Cause yeah. this album made me tired. Um, but but there are some songs that I was just like, okay, fine. Like whatever. I'm tired of this. Like rip it. Like you said the same word over and over again. You're playing the same like guitar riff over and over again, whatever, whatever. But let's just see where this goes. And they would end up going to some really interesting places. The song, just a little boy for Chester Burnett. Don't know Mm -hmm. who that is. Um, Chester Burnett is a old and very unknown blues singer who has a massive influence on Michael Jira. And that's why that song is so fucking groovy. We stand. So that song towards the end goes to some really, really great places. But I checked the timestamp of when I locked in and was like, okay, cool. It was at the 10 minute mark. Criminal. <laughs> yeah. Criminal. <laughs> yeah. Criminal. Mm-hmm. A little God in my hands. Same thing. Cause I remember they were like back yeah. to back the two songs that I was like, Oh, huh? And then by the end I was like, okay, And also because a little God in my hands starts off as like one of the most fiery with that insane like synthesizer and trombone section that comes in in like two minutes. Yes. But they don't come back until 11 minutes in the song. And that's why I didn't skipped it. See, Ben, I just skipped to I skipped to the end. It was like, oh, it's back. Great. Glad we're here. Uh, Okay. Someone explained to me. Now, I don't want to be, I don't want to get too Nadira with this. <laughs> so someone explain to me the demographics of the band. Why they have a song repeating the name of Toussaint Louverture. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to explain be- who that is? I mean, I know who it is, but. So Toussaint Louverture is hailed as one of the most prominent figures in black history for mm-hmm. leading a slave rebellion in Haiti. Um, a successful slave rebellion in Haiti, and um, I mean successful, successful, successful because 
no slave rebellion clearly were no slave rebellion really did its job as as mock homie said pray for haiti right exactly but but um he he got it done you know he did the thing and he is widely hailed as one of the most prominent figures in black history um for doing that there's something about white men um just over and over again invoking the name of a slave like to me this would be if like boy genius had a song called harriet tubman and Mm -hmm. just over and over again said harriet tubman harriet tubman harriet tubman and like yelled it or screamed it and i would then have to understand like i would have to unclick the follow button on spotify and also not just like doing that but getting to the point where they're like starting to like roll the r's really hard they're starting to like bark at certain points like they're really like deconstructing the word to the point where it's just kind of sounds it felt not offensive because I have a feeling it just factually is, but it felt <laughs> <laughs> it felt confusing. And mm-hmm. I didn't know if I was confused or if they were confused. And I'd like to believe that they were confused. Have yes. they talked about why they made this song? So, okay. The first thing I'm going to say about Michael Jira, who's the front man, he's the guy who's singing, he's doing all the composing. And I will say that, he, as a person, is, you know, using the the word problematic and the fact that he's had, like, sexual abuse scandals and mm-hmm. he has mm-hmm. said shit that is just really, like, off cuff and dumb as fuck. Um, however, I do think with this song, he was coming with it of the kind of, like, intention of trying to bring, like, reverence to this person but this is just how he brought reverence but i'm also like ain't nobody asked you to do that you are a white man saying this like yeah what ain't ain't nobody asked you white man to bring (laughs) reverence to a man who was trying to free the slaves ain't nobody asked you to do that (laughs) and asked you to do that and also there are like chester burnett that's a black man who he gives like a much better rendition and a kind of understanding of his place earlier on the album. I agree in principle that that song is very bizarre. And also like it has like, has like the insane like drone section. Then you're like, what is going on here? Like the sound design is beautiful. I like drone music, but like the song is 30 minutes. It's 30 minutes long. What is going on? Okay, so there was one song that I got like 30 seconds in, and I think I was just so tired by the end of the album that I was like, I just can't. Was it Um, Natalie Neal? It had to have been Natalie Neal. Okay, so I think I skipped that one too. Yeah. But it's actually Mm -hmm. right before it. You skipped Oxygen? So. Oh, that's a good one though. I really like Oxygen. No, so here's the thing. I listened to the first, again, like 30 seconds, and literally said out loud, I can't do this anymore. And then I skipped it. And then I think I just skipped entire entirety of Natalie Neal and then listened to all of To Be Kind. I lost my breath by oxygen. Was like, I can't do it. I need a break. Skip Natalie Neal. And then was locked back in for To Be Kind. I was like, okay, I'll 
listen to this it's the title track it's whatever and then i went back on spotify and saw that oxygen was like the one of the top five songs and (laughs) decided to make the political protest point to not go back and listen to the rest (laughs) so i will never listen to the rest of that Uh, song because this album offended me so much this album should not be what's so annoying about it is it has some very very interesting moments cool guitars cool instruments cool yelping screaming droning what the fuck ever it had some really cool moments but it's just too long Mm -hmm. and it's too boring and it has a song about tucson lovatore on it (laughs) that i just cannot in good conscience accept this album as an album that i like yeah and i don't i don't like it sorry sorry to this man (laughs) that's totally fine i mean trust me michael jira is not someone that you want to um you know, talk about, and I, I think that that is like a perfectly acceptable opinion. I will say this about like how I feel about the project, which is that one, I listened to it in its entirety once. I will never do it again in my entire life. It was in my opinion, kind of a waste of time. You can section out and listen to Swan songs in their own and get the, the point. Um, two, I understand why in like the post rock world where two album, two two hour plus albums are kind of like normal why this one is kind of like revered and even if i don't like albums of that length i can kind of accept it as like almost quote-unquote like a genre convention like mm-hmm. they just kind of are long and so when i accept all of these things and i accept like the reasons why i don't like kind of like the post-rock world or things of that nature i do think that what swans do is have this really fascinating ability to ride the line between captivating and numbing. And that is on their best tracks. And for example, the I think that the first three tracks, Screenshot, Just a Little Boy for Chester Burnett, and A Little God in My Hands, are in particular, in particular, Just a Little Boy for Chester Burnett, I think that that song is maybe one of the best post-rock songs I've ever heard in my entire life. His Great song screaming of I need love with the guitars doing that just insane like wailing is and it comes after like I said so much buildup and so much tension like when I cannot put into words how tense it feels to listen to some of these songs for 12 minutes you like they're the first couple times you listen to them you actively want to like push skip because you just want release like you desperately want release and then by the end of the song, sometimes they just don't even give it to you. They, they just fade out into nothing. Sure. Sure. I mm-hmm. don't know that I ever listened to this and was like, I feel tension. I want to skip this song. I <laughs> you think were just bored. I mostly was bored. I was like, See, I'm okay, but th- yawning. That, which is totally understandable. I've shown this album to plenty of people who have been like, bro, this is so boring. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I think that the way that they construct songs is a little bit ingenious. Not in the way, not in the way that like essentially every song is introducing like an instrument or an idea really slowly, but once it's introduced and once they have shown you the theme of that instrument or like the groove or what it's doing, it will not change for the like the entire 12-minute runtime. And that is really hard to do well because you don't realize how precise and how clean a loop has to be for you to do it for 12 minutes and not hate it 
endlessly. Like every guitar riff needs to be perfect. Every drum loop needs to be perfect. Every mm-hmm. bass light, everything needs to be nailed down just right if you're going to pull that shit off. And like I'm saying, they don't always do it. And I agree. There are songs in here that are way too fucking I mean, long. But like when they do it, it is kind of marvelous. There was no point during this album where I was like, I don't get why this is popular. I mm-hmm. understand why people are considering this one of the best post-rock whatever albums of all time. Well, I, I think we can conclude this album by saying that like, if you are in the mood to feel like your head's up your ass, if you potentially you know need like a little bit of a break or background music for your infinite just reading session, throw this shit on. Oh my God throw it on you know that's exactly what it's used for <laughs> and you can say that because you've read infinite jet yes exactly just so we're clear i am friends with a white male who has read <laughs> infinite jess actually i'm friends with two yeah but it's okay i still maintain every aspect of my personality <laughs> and my dignity yeah i mean whatever that's to be kind <laughs> <laughs> firmly off the list that is no country for old men firmly off the list and to talk about next episode yeah i'm gonna start and i'm gonna say that because i just brutalized nadira with this ridiculously long album um i wanted to then immediately move to a very very short album and i figured you know what we haven't done death metal and i've really been craving and actually re-listening to a lot of my favorite death metal projects and in particular one that i really love is unsilent death by nails and this album is like 20 minutes long so nadir you'll be able to breeze through this thing as many times as you want and my god oh am i excited for us to listen to some death metal and for us to listen to some nails. Oh man, I love this fucking album. So, death metal, of course. Uh, of course. Um I don't really know the differences between death metal and heavy metal, but in terms of metal, when you think of movies and you think of metal music besides documentaries, the first thing that you should think of is the classic 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 film This is Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap is um, a mockumentary film from the 80s. <laughs> um, it's about like a heavy metal band. Um, and I think that's all I'll say. It's um, Yeah, I don't know anything about it as per usual. <laughs> it's just really fun. And it's it's considered just it's one of those like cult classic mockumentary comedy films that's like hailed um like the same way that all the um mel brooks stuff is hailed and the gene wilder Mm -hmm. stuff is hailed oh okay i'm so excited with that said this has been off the list hope you guys experienced a little bit of tension enjoyed it too and we will not just experience it in your media not in your Mm -hmm. real life i hope your real life is full of calm i hope you relax your shoulders and clench your jaw i hope that this podcast is not that tension for you or if it is and you just like that then hey call me no i'm kidding (laughs) lord help us (laughs) lord help us all the swans are coming bye Bye. (laughs) (laughs) that should be the closer of everyone off the list is made by ben and me nadira our artwork is by rebecca pearson and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes.